Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. How's it going, Derek? Going great. Awesome week. It is. Uh, the weather is fantastic. It's really heating up. It's uh, warmer than I'm used to this for this time of year. It's uh, not too often we get this warm this quick. We've had all the windows and got a lot of yard work done. <laughs> not that I wanted to, but yeah, our, our, uh, around our house is looking pretty good right now, so... We're going to jump right into tonight. Yes, let's do it. I got some things to talk about first. The Texas Water Safari. Texas Water Safari is a boat race down waterways from San Marcos, Texas, San Marcos, Texas to Sea Drift, Texas. Total distance, 262 miles. Racers must take all equipment needed with them, receiving only medical supplies, food, water, and ice along the way. Primary requirement is a boat powered only by human muscle. Okay. The event first held in 1963 and is run annually. That's been going a long time. It has. Race begins on the second Saturday of June each year, barring bad weather. In 1962, just going back a little ways now, Frank Brown and Bill Big Willie George, I don't want to know, navigated from San Marcos to Corpus Christi without a motor, and in 63, they created the Texas Water Safari, which would become this annual race. And it includes natural rivers like the San Marcos with rapids and dams, lots of obstacles. Here's where it gets interesting. Most boats are destroyed on the course, are lost in the upper river. Right off the bat, <laughs> you're starting to think, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, we're it, always talking about dying. Get it out of the way early. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the San Marcos River converges, converges with the Guadalupe River, becomes wider and slower, so I guess that's why not as much. Main dangers in the middle river are sweepers, down trees, log jams, and dams. Near the end of the course, there are lakes and swamps, and it ends with a crossing of the San Antonio Bay. Other challenges, they say challenges, <laughs> include alligators, sharks, water moccasins, fire ants, and mosquitoes. Challenges. Challenges. <laughs> I'm sorry, but an alligator is not a challenge. <laughs> it's not a challenge? It's not a challenge. A shark? Nah. That's child's play. <laughs> now that's a race, isn't it? I know, right? Chance of death. Yeah, you have to go. This is in Texas, not in Australia, right? You have to go fast to avoid the uh, alligators. <laughs> you have to go fast to go through. I think that's like the the whole thing behind this, the encouragement to get down that river faster. <laughs> yeah. If you don't die up here, you might get eaten. <laughs> My goal is not to die. Yeah. That's a great race. So we have a guest this evening, and he's done this many times. Multiple times. Uh, our guest this evening has done the, in 2008, the Great River Amazon Raft Race where they set a new speed record. 2012, the National Geographic Amazon Express Expedition. And in 2014, the first kayak source-to-sea navigation of Europe's longest river, 2,100-mile Volga River in Russia. Those are some pretty... That's pretty serious Serious stuff. paddling. Yeah. He's participated in the Texas Water Safari multiple times and the Missouri River 340... 
And according to, if I can whip out my phone here and just, where is it here? Quote our pal, um, jo- uh, uh, Alan Drummond. Drummond. Where's Alan's quote? Alan's quote. Because I mentioned we were having this. You're gentleman. not going to do it word for word, are you? I cannot do it word for word because <laughs> this is a family friendly, family friendly show. Oh, so when I said who was going to be on the show this week, he said, "Wow, he is the real effing deal." <laughs> West Hansen, how are you this evening? I'm doing well, Sean. I sure appreciate y'all having me on. Good to meet you, Derek. Yeah, good to meet you. Well, it's good to have you on. We've wanted you on for a little while here, so this uh, is perfect because the Texas Water Safari is this coming weekend. Yep. And you're doing it again. Uh, yes. Yeah, they should have support groups for folks like me that, that tend to make a habit out of this. I've, <laughs> I actually entered... Uh, I've entered the Texas Water Safari 24 times, and I've completed it 20 times. Oh, wow. Uh, That's pretty good odds. Yeah, Yeah, I came out of it four times uh, for various reasons. And and, uh, so this will be number 21 for my finish. So the Texas Water Safari, it's a major event down in Texas now. Oh, yeah. It's it's like huge. Four days, 100 hours. So they say four days and four hours, so 100 hours to complete the race. 262 miles, rivers, dams, uh, rivers with dams, rapids, log jams, alligators, and snakes, uh, weather blasting from really hot Texas heat to driving rain, and Larry Rice in 2009, Canoe and Kayak Magazine, wrote, they don't call the Texas Water Safari the world's toughest canoe race for nothing. In addition to the length, the challenges include whitewater rapids, multiple portages, relentless soul-sapping Texas heat. Competitors have four days and four hours to paddle from San Marcos in the center of the state to the shy little town of Sea Drift in the Gulf Coast. There's no prize money for the winners, just Texas-sized bragging rights for the finishers. So the question is, why would you do this, West? <laughs> well, 24 yeah. times of that. 24 <laughs> times! <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because uh, that that seems to be a recurring question for for folks that haven't haven't done it, and and I, I guess it's kind of I don't know uh, it's it's it, it changes because initially I think every there, there's a common thread for people that haven't done it that do it for the first time and they they have the the, the pat answer I just want to finish it's a it's a once in a lifetime event it's a big deal. Um, it's uh, it's something I just want to finish. But then, a few days after they finish, just just like the you know perhaps a, someone who's just given birth and will never do it again. A few <laughs> days later, they start. You know, you know, I could if I'd just done this different. You know, it could have been more successful. Not like I have to give up the birth analogy at this point. But the, the <laughs> Texas the Texas Water Safari. You know, no matter how many times you've done it, there's there's always something you learn. And so the next year, the, oh, okay, I'll, I'll I'll put this different seat padding on and I'll do diff- this differently or I'll eat this uh, different food or drink this different uh, protein shake or I'll have a different piece of gear or paddle or a different partner or no partner and, and I'll go so much faster without any partners and, and things of that nature. So that gets anybody that's a repeat offender in the Texas Water Safari uh, it usually falls under that 
category of the, okay, I can do it better, I can make it under this certain time, I know I can because now I have more experience. But then the final category are those of us who have made it a yearly habit, and those of us that have that do that, that come back year after year, we've, we've found a, a community here. Right. There's those old-timers, you know, that, that we're quickly becoming that have been doing it since, I've been doing it since 1992, um, and there's some guys that are doing that they were doing in the 80s and it's a smaller group every year but these are people that uh we have a a very unique uh common experience with the texas water safari and we can always say oh yeah you know this bend in the river where this big tree's been laying over for the past five oh yeah yeah i know that yeah yeah and and they will know it i mean we know every inch of this 262 to 265 miles right uh, you could probably drop us down anywhere, and we can say, oh, yeah, I know we are. Yeah. And so it's this community, and we've seen, you know, kids born, kids grow up, uh, grandchildren born, great-grandchildren born, and it's this neat group that keeps coming back together year after year. And, and uh, people have died, and we've attended funerals and weddings, and it's just like any other group with some common goal that no one outside of that group could quite understand and, unless they live what we've lived. Right. It's like an extended uh, family. Very much so. I mean, I wouldn't walk into a VA hall or a Veterans of Foreign War hall and expect to blend in, having never been in the military. And it's the same thing with the Texas Water Safari and, and those of us old-timers that keep coming back for more fun and games. Right. Uh, I've been watching an awful lot of videos the last few days about this uh, water safari. And that seems to be one of the things is, uh, one of the quotes I remember in one of the, the videos I saw was, I hate it, it really hurts, but the only reason I come back is for the camaraderie of the group that we see once every year. You're absolutely right. And we, we train so much together because most of us um, start training back in January or at least in February. Um, and so we we see each other every weekend for several months, and then of course we we never want to see each other again. The rest <laughs> of the year. But, uh, then you know January February rolls around again, and oh hey I had to see you, and oh, it's great to see you. And and some of these people that I've known for years, I have no idea what they do for a living. Uh, I, I came to find out that one guy was in charge of the cardiopulmonary research. Uh, wing of a local medical school, and I'd known him for years. And it's like, oh, this is a dirty old paddler, you know. Oh, actually, no, he's a doctor, and he's very esteemed. I mean, so mm-hmm. this is kind of what we know about each other, and it's always surprising to learn something outside of our little bubble about somebody. Right. You know, so and so's an author, or so and so's a famous musician, or something like that. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of neat. Yeah, it's you know, it's a common thread between everybody is the yeah, race itself. Exactly. Yeah. Right, exactly. And that's the most important thing we have with each other, Yeah, is this, this race. Now, in 1997, you did the race with that's Alan, and how do you say his last name? Spells. Spells. Yeah. Uh, and you ended up with the fastest time of 36 hours, 27 seconds. Well, uh, 27 minutes. 36 Thir- hours, 36, 27. Yeah. Well, that's for the USAC2, uh, you know, like a uh, race uh, the. The canoe that's raced in the Osawa River Marathon and on La Classique, the Triple Crown up there. That's a, a pro boat. Right. C2. So that's that was a record time for that, and we still hold that record. That's awesome. Yeah, we had great water that year, and we were young and well-trained. I think I was uh, 
uh, spry thirty-five or thirty-six-year-old at the time. <laughs> so you're saying you're saying if you're over thirty-five, it's all downhill from there. No, no, no. Boats. Derek, you're out, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I'm like comfortable boat. So let's talk about uh, the 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 race, the teams, the boats, and, and everything that that's in these the, the Texas Water Safari. So your typical team can be one to six paddlers and a captain. Now, the captain is not actually in the boat. Correct. He's on shore. Right. Or she. He or she is on shore. Uh, and they can only pass you food, water, medical supplies, and ice. Yeah, those are the current rules, right. Right. Yeah, this is, is evolved from what I understand. Over time, yeah. Over time, yeah. little things are added or taken away. And uh, I think it was, what, fairly within the last five, six years, I think that cell phones were allowed to be tucked into the... Well, yeah, there's... Uh, the, the way it used to be back <laughs> the soul timers call it, back when the safari was hard, uh, you could only get <laughs> water, water cooler... I mean, the water, water, and it had to be cooler than the ambient air. That was the one thing that they could give you. They couldn't give you anything else. Water, cooler than the ambient air. And um, then... Uh, it started to change a little bit only in the last, I guess, six or seven years. Um, and just for safety's sake, they started allowing people to get food, um, you know, uh, water of any temperature, uh, and medical supplies. And uh, that, that was just uh, a prudent measure because we had more and more people entering, uh, more uh, novices, or, or not necessarily novices, but less experienced people in this kind of distance. And so it was just a safety measure on the part of the board to say, okay, we can get these things. Knowing full well that the, the fastest teams out there aren't going to be taking advantage of that. They're not going to be getting medical supplies or a whole lot of food or, or anything like that. They're sticking with the lightweight race food, and it really didn't make that much difference in the top 15 or 20 finishing teams, or the fastest 10 or 20 finishing teams. Right. So now your land. And this is one of the things I wasn't sure about, and I was, I was chatting with Derek earlier. Your captain's on shore. Are you allowed to have more than just him as a land crew? Well, actually, you could have uh, a captain and a co-captain. So those those two people can pass you the things that we just listed above, and no one else can. And, right, and the, and the captain is not allowed to touch the boat. Oh, right, okay. so. They can't hold on to the boat while they're giving you something. They can't hold your boat while you go up and use the, the facilities, which you're not allowed to use either. I, 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 actually, I'm not clear on that. you got to remember, I'm still kind of coming from a uh, an old-timer's perspective, so I, I, I'm I real leery about getting even food. So I'm still not used to these new rules, these newfangled rules of the past <laughs> six or seven years. <laughs> Anytime I've tried to get a cheeseburger or something, I've always thrown it up. I mean, it's just not... Not part of my repertoire. But <laughs> the team captain and the co-captain uh, can give you those things that you just listed. But, uh, and I think this is where we may be leading, that team captain and co-captain have an entire support group crew behind them. In oh, fact, okay. my family, my mother, my sisters, brother-in-laws, nephews, uh, all show up for the race. My dad comes over, um, and, and uh, uncle, and my aunt, and and they, they come down for it at various stages because the team captain 
and co-captains pretty much stay awake as, as long as we do. Right. And so they, they need someone to either wake them up or kind of keep an eye out or run and get them food and run and get them more ice for us so they can remain on the river and keep an eye out for us. Right. It takes a huge support team. So I guess all our families have to go down, Derek. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Come on down. Uh, yeah, okay. So then, uh, and you've paddled with two uh, to six people in, in over the years, right? That's correct. I've actually been on a, a seven-man team at one point. I, I won the safari outright twice, uh, once in a six-man uh, boat and then the other in a seven-man boat. We didn't have women in them. Uh, I have finished uh, a couple times on uh, mixed teams also. Right. But, um, yeah, I've, I've paddled several times in six, several times, and well, only one time in a seven, and a four-man boat a couple of times or several times, tandem boat a few times, and solo a handful of times. Okay. And we were talking earlier there um, about the Cowboys. That's come up uh, whenever we go to... Uh, westhanson.com uh, your 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 website right. uh, one of the things that, that we notice is the cowboys and oh, yeah. so you were you were discuss- I I thought you were like a part of that group but you were discussing that it was <laughs> more of an institution yes uh, the cowboys and and I'll just kind of give you a quick synopsis of who the cowboys are now the cowboys the core team of the Cowboys are currently uh, two fellows, one John DuPont and John, one John Mark Harris. And um, uh, they are the current uh, bearers of the Cowboy uh, mythos. And it was originally uh, Gene Carlisle and, and Polecat Stafford. Uh, they were they were the original Cowboys, and they started forming and dragging in more victims and to the point where they had a really strong six-man boat now when i say strong don't don't misconstrue anything in the cowboy boat with speed (laughs) so they they are strong smelling they are strong worded (laughs) they are strongly opinionated but they are not fast please do not (laughs) use them with speed i have a team and i know but the one thing the one thing they have going for them is, God dang, they're just tough as nails, these guys. I mean, John DuPont, John Mark Harris, and whatever other victims they drag into that poor lead sled that they paddle, they, they are just, they, they, they're just tough as nails, and, and they don't stop. They never stop. And if you're going to bet any money on any team to finish versus not finish, it's going to be the Cowboys. The Cowboys are going to pull in, and they're going to pull in pretty well, usually top 15. So they um, they go through hell. They, they, when I've been on the team with them, they have actually gotten lost in Alligator Lake, this uh, this area down the swampier down the coast. And they have finished the safari more times than only one other person in history. I mean, oh, wow. John, Mark, John Mark Harris has finished 35 Texas water safaris and still gets lost down there. <laughs> arguments down on the coast about which way to go to the point where the whole team had to vote against him to turn right turn right john mark and he'll yell fine i mean this is the middle of the night in the swamp and we're having an argument with this man who's done 35 texas water safaris about what direction to go but once again the saving grace is my god these guys are just scary tough 
John Mark, um, <laughs> he's the driver of the cowboy boat. And in the middle of the night, he'll start singing ancient pirate shanties. Oh, nice. Right on. <laughs> not, not the ones you hear on the radio. These nope. are real pirate shanties. And he knows them by heart. And then, and that's great. If he's doing that, he's still kind of with you. It's when he gets quiet that you know you're, you, you, he starts to go to La La Land. It's like, okay, John Mark, you still with us? And then he starts driving towards the bank or something. Wake up, wake up, wake up. It's, and then hopefully you can get him to start singing again. I was wondering about that. Like, is, is it, uh, when you have so many people in a boat, is it an opportunity for somebody to, to, is you're like two in the morning and somebody's like, okay, I need like half hour to, for some shut eye. So only five people are paddling. Or do you say, nope, all, everybody paddles all the time? Well, it depends on the team, once again, because you don't want to be a jerk. If someone really is about to fall out of the boat, if they say, I need to I need to lay down for 30 minutes, they're usually pretty good about that, and you can wake them up. And 30 minutes will really get you quite a pretty good a pretty good rest when you're worn out. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it depends on where you are in the race, who you're racing against, what's going on. If you're in the lead and, and, and you've got some distance between you and the boat behind you or whoever you're fighting, then, yeah, I mean, get, this, get this poor... You know, woman or man, uh, thirty minutes of shut eye. Uh, other times, you know, I've I've been racing for the, the you know, an overall win, and oh yeah, no one's laying down at this boat. Yeah, yeah, we're going for time. Nobody sleeps. No one's sleeping, buddy. Drink <laughs> caffeine, do whatever you need to do, but yeah. you are not laying down. With uh, with all the race food and all the, I mean, after about uh, thirty hours on, you the boat must really start to reek, eh? Oh, it does have a special odor about it, that's for sure. Uh, you know, hopefully whatever effluent is leaving your body also leaves the boat, but, the, you know, accidents do happen. And, and, you know, for that reason and just for, you know, water in the boat in general, we most of us have electric pumps, you know, battery-operated pumps that pump whatever effluent is in the boat out, you know, yeah. but... It does, yeah, we do develop a certain odor, and, and most of us don't realize that it's our team captains when we pull up, like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, you guys acclimatize to it. Yeah. <laughs> say, I, I wouldn't want to be the guy at the back. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> With a headwind. <laughs> I'm always in the bow, and there's a good reason for that, too, especially after that burrito breakfast at the starting line. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about boats. Um those ones that you were in with the cowboys, the, with the six men, how long is that thing? These boats are custom, are they? Yeah, we build them all downhill here, and that's an interesting cultural uh, phenomenon as well. When canoe racing was developing in uh, North America and specifically in the United States, um, most of the really competitive racers and boats were up, up in y'all's direction. Uh, Michigan, New York, uh, along the Canadian border, the Canadians are obviously leaders in, in, in the sport. Uh, well, Texas, you know, is geographically way down here. We heard about canoe racing, but we didn't really know much about it. So we started just kind of building our own boats and making it happen for our own river. So we developed these unlimited class boats, which are exactly what they sound like. They don't fit any uh, width or, or length or height parameters. Uh, and they would handle the, the various... Uh, uh, very well. The variables in the San Marcos and Guadalupe rivers, because mm-hmm. we have, you know, up to class two rapids. Nothing that's too scary. But if you're in a boat that needs to go really fast for a long period of time, then you're not in a you know plastic whitewater canoe or kayak. You're in something that looks more like a surf ski or mm-hmm. a or a, or a Olympic ICF K2 
kayak or some, something like that. So we have this hybrid type of boat that we've been building down here since the 1960s that's evolved to be, I guess, you can get, we can now make a six-man boat that weighs, uh, finished out, ready to race, that weighs probably like 120 pounds. Wow. 45 feet long. Four, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's, it weighs hardly anything. And they have four-man boats that, that are racing this year that will probably win. There's some four-man boats uh, versus some six that weigh 60 pounds. Well, my, my first canoe was 16 feet and weighed 90 pounds. <laughs> got, got it. Wow. So these boats look like they're pretty close to the waterline. I'm looking at the uh, Texas Water Safari webpage here, and uh, so it shows the team. It, you got shows a picture of the, the of the Cowboys right on the right on the page there, and uh, it's uh, probably only got about uh, four inches of uh, draft left for the gunwale. Right. Right. Uh, obviously, one of the ways we save weight is by having as least amount of boat as we can, yeah. or as little yeah. amount of boat as we can. And so mm-hmm. we we cut down the, the gunnels as low as possible. You know, taking into account whatever rapids we in, you know encounter on the first you know sixty miles of the race, and then of course the last six or eight miles is open ocean crossing. So we have to take in large waves into account. So we have skirts that snap over our our boat too, to act like a like a whitewater skirt. In okay, the ocean. I see it. Right. Uh, padded seats for all paddlers, I presume. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I've made a mistake a couple of years of not taking enough paddling, and it really eats up your rear if you don't. So we, <laughs> we all have our magic formulas, but you got to have the padding. Yeah, I've heard the butt, the hands, and the feet take the brunt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and the feet, you know, as long as you can kind of keep them dry, either that or finish very quickly, then then your feet will be okay. Unless, of course, like this year, we're going to have to do a lot of walking through the swamps because we got a lot of last-minute log jams around Alligator Lake. Oh, okay. Alligator Lake is out in the middle of nowhere, uh, down on, you know, about about 30 miles from the Texas coast. And these log jams are about 100 yards long, and there's about four of them. So either you go over the top of them or you got to get out and hike through the swamp around it, dragging your boat, and then put back in and keep going. And that's what most people are going to be doing is hiking down the, beside the log jams in the swamp to, to get past them. It's easier to drag than to lift over. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, the other problem is when you're going over log jams, you tend to fall through them, and, mm-hmm. and that's dangerous. And then going over them, you know, it's, it's just precarious, and that's where all the pissed-off animals are. I mean, because they've just been <laughs> out river. And y'all were talking about challenges earlier. I mean, the fire ants are, are really horrible because uh, you'll be – walking through a swamp or around a portage around a dam and you stepped in a big old mound of fire ants and fire ants are worse after rains because they all come out uh the same thing with log jams they're all pissed off on log jams so you're going to get eaten up by fire ants spiders and y'all didn't mention alligator gar alligator gar are worse than alligator yes uh i believe someone back in the day there's a story that goes around that one jumped out and hit her knocked her out of the boat, uh, grab somebody's headlamp. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it, it, it was Khaki, uh, uh, Ginger Turner's sister, Khaki Turner. I think her last name's Turner. Yeah, she uh, it broke her ribs. She ended up in mm-hmm. the 
hospital, and she had to come out of the race. So, well, the alligator guards are, are extremely aggressive, more so than alligators. Uh, alligators won't bother you unless you you know sit on them or something, and and that's a problem. You gotta you gotta you don't want to stumble across alligators because that does piss them off. But alligator gar will come after you. They see you at night and they have your bow lamp. They come and ram your boat. They jump at the light. They jump out of the way. They'll slam you. Holy cow. And these things get up to 12 feet long. And they've got these giant teeth. And there's this prehistoric-looking fish. Picture, Very fat. picture a gar pike on steroids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll get a gar. Yeah, a lot of people don't quite understand them until you, you're paddling along in the middle of the night. It's nice and serene. And all of a sudden, your boat is slammed from the side. Oh, that must be disturbing. <laughs> yeah, and you're screaming like a Girl Scout, you know. Yeah, ah! yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll add that to the list of challenges. <laughs> you, know, you know, if if they're trying to promote this, you're not doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> this is full disclosure. <laughs> good thing that border's closed, or I'd be right down there. Got <laughs> <laughs> it. Oh. Uh, lights. Yeah. Is it better to build the lights into the boat or headlamps? Well, uh, much better to have the uh, a bow light that's clamped on the bow of your boat. Uh, the problem with headlamps, obviously, the technology is just amazing these days. I mean, you can you can really light up a river with your headlamp powered by you know just some AAA batteries. The mm-hmm. problem is. Uh, when you paddle, the reflection from the back of your hands from your headlamp will blind you, oh, and yeah. it causes your retinas to, to uh, your your eyes to I never thought lose their night vision. Yeah. And so you really, we have headlamps, and we put them on. We need to scout the river or look for rocks or or you know whatever else is on the bank or in front of us when we need you know just uh, momentary vision. Right. But the best thing to have is is a uh, a light mounted on your bow, and most of us build build our own okay yeah yeah right makes uh, sense yeah yeah i hadn't really thought about that but yeah every time you you do a do a stroke your hands and the paddle are going to pass in front of your eyes and stuff so if you're wearing you a white, white shirt you're going to blind yourself and that's why people want to turn left instead of right <laughs> exactly. well the other issue is uh you know uh, uh lights are where the bugs go Oh, that's true. All these mayflies and mosquitoes and moths and gnats, they hit for that light. And you can see your bow light in front of you is just swarmed with bugs. Well, you don't want them in your face. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was a great race. I had nothing but big bugs in front of my face (laughs) bouncing off of it. And then I got attacked by a giant 50-pound fish. (laughs) But wait, there's more. (laughs) Well, the bugs are funny. Well, not funny, but the bugs, a lot of people don't understand. There there are bugs out there that don't bite you necessarily, but they're still, you know, they bug you. Uh, Mayflies, for instance. Now, mayflies come out around dusk uh, every, every day just after, you know, when the weather cools down to a certain amount. And they just swarm your boat. And they don't bite you or anything. But they they just cloud your face and your eyes. And they get in your nose and they fall in your boat. And one year I was racing with, um, uh, there's a well-known adventure racer, Ian Adamson. He's an Australian guy who, who, who lives in America for the past few decades. And he was on a four-man boat with us, Alan Spells and Jeff Wiesty, my old, my old team back in the 1990s. And we are paddling around Alligator Lake and... And Ian and I were up in the bow. Uh, I was in number one, he was in number two, and we had these 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 bugs. And the guys in the back weren't seeing them like we were, and they just started hitting us and falling into the boat and falling into the boat. And finally, 
the buzz and around our legs, they filled up the boat up to the gunnel. That's oh, how many wow. bugs. The buzz around our legs started bugging us so much that Ian and I started scooping these bugs out, and and they started floating down the river back, you know, towards the, as we were moving towards the stern. And and Alan in the stern who was driving said, "What is all this foam in the water?" <laughs> so we were just, just we're emptying the boat. These were just these hideous bugs that that have piled up around our legs and Holy started cow. working their way up our shorts. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is a glamour sport. I gotta add that. <laughs> well, we won't even get into the food section yet. <laughs> Wait till we I get there. <laughs> I thought we just covered that. <laughs> yeah, the the bugs. Lots the of protein. Bugs. Yeah. Um, we discussed. You guys usually have like a water pump or bail buckets to get rid of everything that's in the boat. Yep. Is there anything else custom that you do to the boats? Um. Well, they are. You know, we ride the line between uh, being lightweight and being tough. So we do run into rocks, uh, rebar, concrete. There are a lot of uh, obstacles in the river that your boat has to slam into or will in- inadvertently slam into. So we are careful about that. We have a repair kit, uh, and we're pretty good at making fast repairs uh, and pretty creative using, you know, lighter fluid, five-minute epoxy, and, and duct tape. And... So that's that's an essential thing. How to make a really fast repair? I mean, right. five, five minutes or less, and obviously spare paddles. Um, you know, some common sense things like that. Um, customizing the boat. You know, we spend a lot of time in our seats, so we everybody has their own special padding, but we, we make sure the seats you know are just perfect before we leave. Uh, foot braces. Everybody's got foot braces in order to remain stable in the boat. Um, you know, at this point, everything is kind of second second uh, thought for me, so I, it's hard for me to think of something outside of what we consider normal to tell you about the boat. Yeah. Well, I, portaging. Um, I, I do know, because watching the videos, after people have been in the boats for a number of hours, and then they have to get out and portage around something, or even at the end of the race, it, you'd swear people are getting out of the boat drunk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, comfort, as much comfort as you can get, I, I have to think, is a, a prime thing. Well, you're right about that. And we don't realize how bad off our legs are until we have to stand up. For instance, after um, roughly uh, 90 miles is the last portage, or y'all would call it portage in the race, it's <laughs> About 90 miles is the the town of uh, Gonzales, where the San Marcos meets the uh, Guadalupe River. Right. And so we don't have the portage again until uh, probably about 20 miles before the finish when we start going through the log jams around Alligator Lake. Now, last time I was with the Cowboys, we were in a six-man boat, and we had to portage out of the river. And this is the middle of the night in the swamp. And so we have our headlights on, and we all pull up to this muddy bank. It's always the bank's always muddy. I mean, it's a swamp. Yeah. And the, the mosquitoes are hitting us, and the spiders are everywhere. And and uh, yeah, people don't mention the spiders. There are just spiders everywhere. But the you just kind of have to ignore them. So, but at night there aren't any snakes. So that's that's always a positive. But so we're getting the boat up, and we start dragging this monster of a boat into uh, and over this muddy bank. Uh, to portage uh, into uh, a special cut, a secret cut. It's not secret. Everybody knows about it. Well, we started falling down. 
and all of us did. And and so everybody's yelling at everybody, get up, help pull the boat, because we're trying to be in a hurry. Get up. And, and every time someone would stand up and pull the boat, they'd fall down again. And we're, we're it was just a bunch of drunken fools. We couldn't, <laughs> no, it, plus it's muddy. I mean, we're sinking up to our ankles and knees and mud, and no one could stand up. It took us forever to get that boat out of the water. The, um, the other time that's memorable was in 1997. You had mentioned earlier that uh, Alan Spelz and I set uh, the USCA C2 record at 3627. And uh, the, the, the bow of a C2 is really tiny. I had one foot on top of the other throughout the entire 36 hours and 27 minutes. And we didn't get out of the boat. I mean, uh, we didn't have to get out of the boat for uh, Alligator Lake or anything. And so right at the finish, when we're crossing the... Guadalupe Bay and these big waves are hitting us to the side. We tumped over several times. We had to get back in the boat and, and, and uh, we did a wet entry back in the boat and we made it across the treacherous barge canal. We have to cross this canal where there's barge traffic. Right. As, if, you know, as if things aren't hard enough. <laughs> so we made it across Barges. the canal. About, there's about two miles to the finish and another wave just slammed us in the side and finally Alan said, forget it, let's just run this thing in because it's legal to carry your boat into the finish. Because it's shallow, well, it's only about waist deep there. Right, but you can actually get on the bank and run on the bank. So okay. we, we we struggled up to the bank, and we got on the bank, and, and, and we both grabbed the bow of the boat, and we were going to start running because the boat only weighed 30 pounds. Well, I immediately fell down. I couldn't stand up, and, and I <laughs> didn't realize how bad off my legs were. And Alan, we were going for the record, and Alan just kept yelling at me and yelling at me, stand up. You know, he thought I was just being lazy or something. I'll just carry the boat myself. And I said, Alan, I can't move my legs. My legs aren't working. <laughs> and it was the funniest thing. We still had the record by a couple of hours, I think. But it was it was just something you don't expect to to lose the, the use of your legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be uncomfortable. Yeah, just the constant emotionless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... I'm six foot one and sitting in front of some, some of the, the canoes that with people I go canoe tripping with, like it's hard with uh, not enough leg room. If you can't switch yeah. your legs, move yeah. your ankles around and yeah, exactly. So to have your legs pinned together. Because you need yeah. the prime paddling position. They're just stuck there the whole time. Well, <laughs> and most boats aren't, aren't that way. I mean, you can, it, it was just that particular boat, the USBAC2 that has a very sharp bow that okay. doesn't have any leg room but the other safari boats you try to make you know you try to make a little bit better than that right uh let's talk about the race itself yeah basically it's paddle as fast as you can down the san marcos river into the guadalupe river and across san antonio bay right there's 11 checkpoints with cutoff times right and multiple classes of paddling solo tandem aluminum women Adult with a child, uh, the youngest. So all these different um, different classes, different classes yeah. that you, you you can paddle. Um, ba- and base, I mean, it, it doesn't sound that difficult. Point A, point B. Yeah, just point it down river and don't stop. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> simple. All right, that's the race. So now with these checkpoints, so the the I, I guess the max time is a hundred hours, otherwise you're disqualified. So I assume every checkpoint you have to hit a certain time to yes. be allowed to continue. I guess right. That's that's correct. The, the and the and the cutoff times are uh, have been calculated pretty well over the years. And if you don't make the cut, these the cutoff times are extremely generous. By the way, uh, so it's not like you have to you have to be a racer. 
to finish the Texas Water Safari. There are people that show up every year with their camping gear, and they will paddle all day, get out, have a nice dinner, put out their sleeping bags and their, their hammocks, and they'll camp at night, get up the next morning, they'll paddle, and they'll finish very comfortably within that 100-hour time. Limit. Really? <laughs> yes. I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> yes. Uh, Jack and Mark Elvig were this wonderful father and son uh, team for years, and they had this big uh, Winona uh, moose boat um it was just a, a giant tandem canoe that could hold a lot of gear, and it's very comfortable to sit in, so they don't have to have numb legs. And they, as a father and son, would paddle this race every year together just to get reacquainted and to spend time together. And it was just this wonderful story, and they're just great people, and there are people these days that still do that. So, once again, the, the cutoff times are very generous. Uh, if you're paddling your, your head off and you're not making the cutoff times, this may not be your cup of tea. Right. So chances are if you didn't finish the race, it's probably injury or broken boat or something. Right. Or there there are several other, like not eating, not drinking. There are oh. a lot of stuff there. This, or, yeah. So there, your body fails you or something, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's hard to kind of eat out there because, oddly enough, you don't have much of an appetite uh, when you're trying hard. And it's very easy for people not to eat properly, especially those that are pushing really hard you have to consciously remind yourself to eat or uh, people set their clock when it beeps oh i gotta eat right things like yeah yeah i know when i go on on big canoe trips especially on hot days um if you have to remind yourself drink water if well it's not the water is not really the problem but it's eating yeah i'll have something for breakfast and then i paddle all day long yeah and then I get to camp, I set up camp, and I'm like, why am I so hungry? I didn't eat anything today, and I feel like garbage, you know? So, it's very, Yeah, it's exactly the same thing on the safari. Except I gotta think it's 100 times worse. <laughs> All right, you'll, you'll crash pretty hard if you don't eat, and those are the people that end up coming out of the race. Because once you crash, it's really, really hard to recover. Mm-hmm. So leading up to the race, you get your team assembled. Uh, I, I got to imagine. So you guys start training like January, correct? Right. Uh, those of us old timers are usually going to wait till February or even March sometimes because there are a lot of things that we take for granted, like knowing the river. We don't, I mean, there, there's not as a lot of river for us to scout anymore. So it's just getting our bodies in shape and we can paddle, you know, on town lake or go running or do cross training or whatever to start getting in shape. Uh, but we all start training pretty hard come the first of april if you're not training hard by the first of april then you might be behind the curve right uh then comes the planning which um i suppose after you do it 24 times there's a lot less planning <laughs> it's just you're, you're you be an old hat you just kind of you just know what to do going into it and what you have to need to what to be ready and for meals and for you know logistics and stuff like that for the team captain and it, uh, yeah, we, yeah. There's there's a lot we do know that you know we, we forget that we even know, um, but we also know when we're not ready, and, right? And, and so that's that's the other side of that coin. Um, so you get your boat prepared. You got you got your own personal gear that you take in the canoe, correct? Right. So, what would be the typical sort of stuff that you would take? Well, uh, the last few years I've been kind of experimenting because with the new rules about eating all you want, I was really trying to do that, and that didn't work out well at all. So this year I'm actually kind of going old school. I'm 
taking more food with me in the boat that I'm not relying upon a team captain to hand me. And those are going to include uh, fritos that are crunched up. You, you, you crunch them all up in tiny pieces so you can just kind of pour them in your mouth. Right. Uh, fritos have you know an incredible amount of fat, oil, salt, and carbohydrates. So they're kind of a great you know ultra distance food. Uh, fritos corn chips, you know. Yeah. And and then um, I take some uh, high energy stuff, uh, uh, carbohydrates and protein mixes. Uh, I probably shouldn't mention any brand, but there are some very good brands out there uh, that specialize in uh, athletic refueling. And so everybody has their own personal preference, and so I take a good amount of that uh, right. mixes. And then for several of us like me, uh, I, I've got there's there's no one product that gives me exactly what I want. So I mix several different products, uh, like for an energy drink. I can mix 1,600 calories in one bike bottle, and I sip that <laughs> over about an hour to an hour and a half, and that's a lot of fuel. And in that, I have protein, carbohydrates, maltodextrin, simple sugars, and also fat, because you really need some fat during this type of event. And for fat, I use uh, coconut oil, and I put oh. uh, three tablespoons of coconut oil in that mix, and it gives it a little, little zen. Additionally, um, we I've learned that when I'm sleepy, I can add a packet of Starbucks instant coffee to that, and it kind of picks me up. It, it tastes like a I, if if I were ever forced to drink a frappuccino, I think that it would taste like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a lot of cr- different crazy ingredients. It, uh, but it does taste good. I assume you got to. Cho- you don't have to choke it down. It's like let's not go that far. Uh, <laughs> I would never say it tastes good, but it's something I can keep down, and it does tend to fuel me. Um, now, other things in the boat, other than food and fuel, you know, we take electrolyte pills. Um, um, we take ibuprofen, or what we call vitamin I. <laughs> a lot of ibuprofen. Um, and uh, then, then of course, lube. Uh, we, we do. There's a lot of chafing that goes on, especially once you develop, you know, uh, you know, a little spare tire going on around your midsection and your mid years, <laughs> and, and so that kind of stuff requires some lubrication. And you know, it's important to keep the nether regions a little lubed, a lot of because you don't want any kind of diaper rash or anything else like exactly, that. Yeah. And, and so, it's good to take along some body maintenance stuff. Right. Uh, that includes uh, the magic formula, uh, or, the, or the best thing in the world for body maintenance is duct tape. Because if you have a cut or a, a chafing going on, or a certain area, or, or, or the your rear is being torn up from your seat, just put that duct tape on. It'll get you to the end of the race. There we go. Duct tape. I, I never thought of that use for duct tape before. Well, we've yeah. used it for blisters on fingers. Yes, and stuff, I've used right? it for that. Yeah. Yeah, but it'll it'll give you a second skin for a while. You know, I. I don't want to be around when you have to take it off, but <laughs> it, it'll it'll cure what ails you out there. It'll wear off by the time I'm ninety. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's that, Grandpa? Oh, nothing. <laughs> Just take it off in the coffin. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> I've I've noticed uh, a lot of teams have the the water jugs yeah. with the plastic tubes. Right. I, I assume that that's just so you can have the jug at your feet and just use the tube Constantly as drinking. a giant straw. Yes, that's exactly it. We have, and we just call them simply jugs, and they're approximately two quarts. I'm not sure what the equivalent is in liters, but uh, in those things, our team captains hand us either has water in it or, or you know, or, or some kind of energy drink, 
uh, you know, with ice or cooled, or sometimes people will throw in some protein mix in there as well. But that's exactly what it's used for because you want to be able to. It doesn't help to chug a lot of fluids at once on an ultra marathon event, but if you have a constant, if you're constantly sipping on something, then that that goes a long way to keep you hydrated and also fueled. Right. And, um, the, and, and the more you can paddle, the better. You really don't want to ever not be paddling for more than a few strokes. Right. I mean, if you're if you're down, you know, ten or twelve strokes for you know uh, releasing effluent or some kind of other body maintenance, that's that's a long time on your your partners are going to start looking at you askance. <laughs> You're not pulling your weight. And yeah. he's out of the boat. <laughs> Eject. Yeah. So actually, that, that's a question we had. Uh, I was going to discuss it a little later, but disqualifications. Can you lose one person from your boat and continue on? Oh, yeah, that happens all the time. Okay, okay. Because there was one video I was watching, and he was describing they were at nighttime, and all of a sudden there was a tree there, and the guy in front of him lifted the tree limb, let it go, but didn't say anything, and it came back and hit the guy right in the face. Yeah. Smashed his glasses, <laughs> broke his nose, his cheekbones. and Yeah. Um, yeah, that'll ruin your night. So, <laughs> <laughs> ah, pff, that's Tuesday night drinking here. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, of course he's out of the race, but I didn't really catch whether the rest of the team went on or not. Right. Like, uh, I've been, yeah, I've been in similar situations on both ends. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you can lose someone in boat and keep going. And several people have, and there've been several very, very, very famous efforts by some people. Melissa James, uh, was, I think in her novice year and she was an aluminum boat, uh, with a guy, I don't remember who that was, but he came out fairly early on. I think he came out after only about 40 miles. She threw a log in the boat to help uh, trim it and keep the front down, and she paddled all the rest of the way by herself. Oh, wow. In her yeah, first year. 99 hours and 59 minutes. I mean, she <laughs> really, that was her first year. She's quite a badass. Wow. Uh, that also happened to another, uh, uh, a couple of the guys that, did similar things. Uh, the bigger the boat, the harder that is. Uh, at one time, I was left in a four-man boat with just two of us, and we just we couldn't do it. That right. was one of the times I came out of the race. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, like I said, that was. I mean, we were talking about disqualifications. You know, um, the the captain, co-captain, are the only ones allowed to 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 pass you stuff. If you come out to have a snooze, you have to lay on the ground or something. You can't go lay on somebody's tailgate you can't go into somebody's car there's all these little things that'll disqualify you from the race that's exactly right if you bring your own hammock you can put that up and 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 lay in it but if you didn't bring it you better lay on the ground right so anything's got yeah because one of the videos i was watching they said that i don't think there'll be much sleeping this year because there's the, the fire ants were really bad that year oh right yeah so yeah, you anytime, know. <laughs> yeah anytime you have a wet year the fire ants are worse because they're coming up out of the ground yeah Wow. Uh, so race day, like we said, we, you start the race. It's a, a free-for-all at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, do you know how many boats there are on average every year? Well, this year we've got about 150 teams, and that's getting to be the norm. When so, I first started huh. racing back in 92, I think there were 60 teams. And we thought that was a lot. Um so 150 teams, uh, and they all start at once. Now, the you're supposed to be lined up in a specific place 
at the start. And they're lined up in rows of seven. They go however many deep they need to go. And the your race position, your starting position, is determined by the preliminary race, which is the Texas River Marathon that takes place first weekend of May, I believe. And that's a 39-mile race uh, down between between uh, on, on the Guadalupe River on along the, one section of the course. Okay. So however you, you finish in that is where you get to line up. So theoretically, the fastest people will be up front. Yeah, racing for pole position. Yeah. 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 Wow. Nice. Uh, yeah, but you get all those people going at once. Should be at the front. <laughs> um. The logistics, well, it, though. it doesn't always happen that way, though, yeah. because if you don't have your whole team together at the prelim or if you don't enter the preliminary race, then you get put at the back. And I've started many times because I either raced the prelim with a partner and then the partner bailed out, and so I'm in a solo boat. Well, I'll start what we call the rudder to the wall. There's a wall at the back of the start, a concrete wall, and I had my rudder to the wall. And so I had to, as soon as the gun went off, I had to start working my way around, you know, 130 boats. Oh, wow. wow. Just beating yeah. the traffic would be a slow yeah, down a lot. Yeah, and, they're, and novices are, of course, you know, maybe not as experienced as the rest, and their boats are sideways, and they're banging into each other, and even experienced people can get turned around because of the melee. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. That's the best part yeah. of it so far. if you're far. trying to make a good time, that could really waste a couple hours at the first. Have you been paying attention to what happens at the rest of the race? <laughs> I'm getting <laughs> off the start line and then going right to shore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking maybe 10, 15 minutes, and Take we're a good. Take nap. And <laughs> yeah, everybody goes, and, and there have been guys that have done that and finished the top 10. Yeah, see? Just let everybody get... Let the traffic go. Yeah. And let them take each other yeah, out. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> so the first couple hours, you're getting all the butterflies out. You're getting in your rhythm and hopefully, you know, getting clear of some of the, the main grouping. You get your rhythm going with the, with the team. Yep. What kind of obstacles are you facing that first day? Well, uh, the first day is the most technical, or the first 90 miles of the race are the most technical. And this is uh, works out quite well in thinning the herd, as right. we say. Because if someone doesn't have the paddling skills to get through these technical or, or more technical sections, then they really shouldn't be you know, going further down the race course. Um, even though it may be easier, it's, you know, the fatigue starts setting in and, and you're going to be in, in a harder area to get out because the, the wilderness increases the further down the race you go. Right. Uh, whereas the first 90 miles, you've got a, you know, a bridge or a checkpoint every couple hours. So we have a very tight river that's only, uh, let's see, 15 meters, I guess would be a good. Canadian way to say it, uh, 15 meters wide when you've got 30 boats trying to make it through a tiny slot, and then very hairpin turns, you've got dams that you have to portage around, one or both sides of these are 30 foot tall dams, um, and then you have some small rapids with rocks in it, and the rapids aren't necessarily dangerous for any regular canoe or whitewater paddler, but if you're in a thin racing boat with you know, yeah. 12, of your, 12 of your closest friend and, and boats right next to you, and you're trying to make it down through these boulders, then it can get a little hairy sometimes. Um, and some of these old dams that are, are torn down still have rebar sticking up and other rocks and debris that get caught in there. So they can be hazardous. Right. Yeah. 
So that's the first 90 miles you're going through all of that. Plus you have shallow water sometimes and you have deep water other times. Uh, log jams that may just pop up. Like right now we've had a lot of rain in the last few days, so a lot of people don't know if there have been new trees come down in the river that would have to work your way around in that first 90 miles. Right, so it changes a yeah. bit every year then. It's the same, but it's different. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There'll be there'll be definitely changes depending on, you know, what 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 banks have eroded, what um, trees have fallen in the river, and so forth. Right. So the first day you get, you get in the rhythm of things, you're going through these technical sections, uh, hopefully not capsized yet. First uh, night... Uh, that said, it's pretty rare to not have capsizes at the start. And the water is 40 feet deep. It's spring-fed lake, and there's always someone tumping over at the start, and, and sometimes multiple boats. So that's at the start. Ooh. <laughs> it's like a crash on the F1 first right off the go yeah, yeah. And I'm sorry, uh, could you repeat that question about the first night? Oh, uh, so after your, your first day, you're, you're getting in this rhythm with your group. And yeah. then you got to do the first night. What, right. What's it like paddling that with all those obstacles at night? Well, we actually kind of look forward to the night because then we get to take off our sunglasses and the sun stops beating down on us and and it's a little cooler. And by then, as you mentioned, the, 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 the field is kind of spread out a little bit. So now we have we figure out who we're racing against. For instance, this this year I'm in a three man boat, two other two other guys, uh, Jeff Weesty and Jimmy Harvey, and so we're not. We're not going to win this thing, and we know that, but we've got our own little race going on against this team behind us or that team in front of us or this other team that's challenging us. So we've got these little races within the race going on. Right. So by the time we hit night, we we know where we are in, in this little group that we're racing, and and, uh, and we want to beat them. Now, it may not mean anything because, you know, we're not going to win the whole thing overall, but you still got these little personal races going on. So that first night, you have that. Uh, we've got our bow light turned on. Hopefully, the river hasn't changed from the last time we were on these particular sections. Uh, but uh, then we get a little bit more alert. But also, we start hopefully feeling a little better because the temperature's cooled down. Right. Uh, but you're still going through log jams and stuff like that at night? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I... Don't think there are going to be any log jams. I think there's, well, there might be two log jams, just small ones, on the first night this year, unless they were blown out by the recent floods. And I honestly don't know, so it's going to be kind of a, a crapshoot uh, regarding these the smaller log jams on the upper San Marcos, or, the, or on the San Marcos River. And then there aren't going to be any until the second night. It'll be all clear uh, through the rest of the uh, night and day. Right. Second second night though, down at Alligator Lake, that's when the ugly log jam started. Oh well, that's when the everybody starts jumping out of the water and. Oh yeah, the alligator guard. Awesome. <laughs> When's hurricane yeah. season down in Texas? Well, it's been getting earlier and earlier in the year. They're actually saying that it's kind of starting this month. Usually, it's not starting till like August. You know, August. Or, yeah. Exactly. And and you know we we have a problem with those things here. Um, but uh, they've been coming sooner and sooner. We're not. We don't have any coming this weekend, though. That you know of. <laughs> <laughs> it could pop up. Who knows? Other challenges. Hurricanes. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just making this list longer and longer. <laughs> the challenge list. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, one year in the 1960s, they stopped the race early. Uh, they stopped it at Tivoli, which is the typically it's the last checkpoint before the last uh, before the bay crossing because a storm did come in that was strong enough to have you know upset and killed paddlers. So they just stopped oh, wow. there. Right. One year they yeah they stopped it about ten miles early. Well, you got to think the safety's got to be a big issue, especially with, I mean like this year when you're dealing with like 150 teams. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now, I was looking at the stats. It looks like, uh, was that? Yeah, right, what he said. <laughs> <laughs> now, when it comes to difficulties, it looks like, I was looking at some of the stats. It looks like uh, 2020 was the only, since 1963, 2020, it seems it was the only year it didn't run. Right, exactly, because of COVID. Yeah. So <laughs> is there is there any challenges this year? I guess you guys are you guys are doing really good with uh, the vaccinations rolling out and stuff like that. So you guys are back to normal down there, sort of, right? Well, yeah, I've been watching watching Canada pretty closely, so I think we're doing a little better than y'all. We still need to do better, but we are starting to see, you know, vast improvements. Uh, I'm vaccinated. Everybody on my team's vaccinated. My whole family's vaccinated. Uh, I'm a social worker, so I was uh, a frontline worker. I got vaccinated early. So um, I think think we are doing okay. So you're not Uh, expecting that to be a challenge for this race? Not for the race in particular. We are getting together before and after, and there, you know, if there are people that aren't vaccinated that come together in the at the banquet afterwards and the award ceremonies, and they are definitely susceptible uh, to catch the virus. Uh, it's still here. We saw people dying every day from it. Um, but the vaccinations available to everybody. You can walk into many many places and just get it that day. I mean, you don't have to sign up or anything. So it's very readily available. And those that aren't getting it, uh, just for some reason, don't want it. Huh. Yeah, my, my wife's an ICU nurse, so she's in the COVID unit working with patients every day. And there's still people coming in saying it's still a hoax. Yeah, we have that a lot down here. This is, and I don't want to, obviously, I don't want to turn this into a political podcast. <laughs> yeah. <anything like> that. <laughs> yes. I, I work in the healthcare field. I'm a social worker. I work with uh, elderly people that, that are uh, very fragile and their families, and there are many of their families and these people that, that I work with that just won't get it because they don't believe it's needed or it's a hoax or it's over-exaggerated or what have you, or it's a conspiracy against us for some reason, though for some reason polio wasn't a conspiracy. But, but anyway, <laughs> it's, 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 it is still a struggle down here, and I really hope I really hope for the best. Yeah. Well, hopefully it doesn't uh, affect anything to go with the race this week. Right. I hope not. Uh, there's enough challenges already. Yes, We've been taking there's note. enough challenges. I've heard there's one or two. Um, so <clears throat> um, you get your rhythm going. Day two and three, I figure you're you're definitely working as a well-oiled machine by then. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, you're <laughs> <Really> serious. <laughs> I'm just trying to I'm just trying to promote this as a thing that you know. <laughs> No, this is a comedian podcast. Oh, yeah, we're a well-oiled machine on that second. Uh, <laughs> your, your captain and co-captain are passing things off nice and smooth. You guys are tossing water jugs at them. Nothing's wrong. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, it's all it's all cheerful in the boat, and we're not snapping at each other. Yeah, of course not. Not yelling at our team captains who are threatening to leave our marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's great. Yes, peachy. That's just fine. Oh yeah, when the team captain yells out the word "fine," you know, sorry boys, I gotta go. <laughs> My race is over. 
Honey, there's jewelry coming your way, I promise. I got a nice patch for you at the end of the race. <laughs> exactly. There's a nice patch for you. Uh, the checkpoints, um, from what I understand, they used to not have the checkpoints as much, or but now they're using the checkpoints to make sure people are getting the water, getting healthy the food and, and healthy, yeah. staying hydrated, no problems. Almost. They they've had them for several years. I think they were pretty good. They 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 really started moving towards um, uh, paying more attention to the health of the racers. In more recent years, we had a, an unfortunate death back in I believe 2011 um, with a racer who had hypernatremia. Uh, he drank too much water without oh, enough wow. electrolytes. Yeah, and he drank lots of water, plenty of water, but too much so that the electrolytes. Washed uh, out. Flushed out of his body, and, yeah. and once he seized up, he wasn't able to be recovered. Right. And it was, you know, Brad, it was a very sad, sad death. He was a nice guy. Um, I mean, it's sad if he wasn't a nice guy, but I mean, the point I'm getting at is it was just a, a terrible thing, but it, it caused us all to kind of take a step back and recognize what we're doing and, and the fact that we do need to make sure that people are taking care of themselves a little bit more. So I think you're right that there's more of an emphasis on that. That's when food was starting. After that, food is going to be allowed, um, and and uh, uh, a more emphasis was placed on the care of the paddlers. I think. Right. Um. The second night. Yeah, that's the second time you're going through the darkness. That's kind of start to really weigh on you. You're getting pretty exhausted by then. It's, I it's... hear that's when the hallucinations start. <laughs> right. Uh, that is a problem. The the um, now, when you say the second night, I mean there's there's a lot of us that haven't been through a third night. I, I've been I have been one time when we had a low water year. I was uh, I finished in seventy six hours or so, but I was in thirteenth place. Right. Oh wow! <laughs> it shows you how low the water was. Uh, but most of the time, it's only a two night affair for, for those of us who, who you know uh, who are in it to win it type of thing, and. The hallucinations were worse when I was younger, and I wasn't used to them. But if you know they're coming on that second night, and you know what specific kind of hallucinations you have, they usually repeat themselves. We're all prone to auditory, visual, olfactory uh, types of hallucinations. And, and I know which ones will start hitting me. Uh, and if I see them, I think, okay, that's that. And I just kind of look away or shake my head off or start talking or do something to distract myself. And they don't, they don't usually last very long. It's, it's, well, that's it's, not fun. That's kind of disturbing. <laughs> well, <laughs> but I suppose once you get used, used to it. it. Well, you're not used to it. It's just that you know they're coming. It's just like, um, you know, friends of mine that have um, uh, epilepsy, they know when they have a seizure coming on. So oh, they lay down yeah, yeah, yeah. and kind of feel this. But yeah. it's, it's not a great thing. You're not used to it. But So being in a solo boat is a little harder. I mean, because you're out there on your own and, and you start having some auditory hallucinations and you start jerking your head sideways to see if there's someone around you or you see someone on the bank and you want to go over paddle and talk to them for a minute and they're not there. You know, that's <laughs> that's a little disturbing. Yeah. But when you're in a, a tandem three or six person boat, uh, you know, it's not as bad because you have a little community there. to Exactly. To you can, yeah. you can kind of say, hey, does anybody else see that man on the riverbank? No? Okay, good. Just me. <laughs> no, you get group hallucinations because you can talk someone into it. That's oh, a problem wow. we've had with guys that have turned around and paddled away from things or monsters in the river because they convinced their partner was there. 
And oh, wow. so okay. you're very susceptible to that kind of thing. So you, you really don't want to bring it up to your partners, you know, mm-hmm. unless it's something that you're really having a big problem with because you don't want them believing you. And, and um, yeah, it can, they can be contagious. Yeah, see, if it wasn't a race, I'd be doing that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dude, yeah. look at that over there. Look at a giant chicken with the head the size of a bat. I mean, the eye the size of a basketball. I mean, there's <laughs> out there, and and bank, bank, the most common is bank people. What we call bank people, because most common visual hallucination is someone on the bank. Yeah, and right. the problem with that is most of the time when you're seeing these hallucinations, you're out in the middle of a swamp, and there's no road nearby for 20 miles, and there's no houses or anything. And there wouldn't be anybody out there. There's no way. And that's and, just going to freak you out. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what is that guy doing there? <laughs> well, no, you see him, and you don't think it's anything weird, except for you think maybe, okay, there's a someone else, a team captain, spying on us. But wait a minute. What? First off, why would they spy on us? And second, what, what are they doing out here? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it can be a little weird. Now, when I went to your, your website there, westhanson.com, you talk about your, your other expeditions that you've done. Have you had anything like that on those longer expeditions? No. A uh, whole different situation, Mark. Uh, and you had mentioned the Amazon expedition. That was my first big one. I was 50 years old, and uh, we were the first to – I was the first to lead an expedition down the, from the most distant source of the Amazon. Right. Uh, new source had been discovered that year by uh, Dr. Rocky Contos, and our team was the first to paddle from that source to the, to the sea. And that kind of thing, uh, we can't take risks like that. It, it's it's interesting. I was just talking to Freya Hoffmeister the other day. Uh, she's famous uh, expedition paddler, circumnavigated uh, South America, Australia. She's now circumnavigating North America. And then I've, I've talked to C- uh, Cyril Deramo. Uh, uh, I always mess up his bad name. Deramo, yeah. Yeah, he was a guy that was just rescued off. Yeah, it's a shame. We talked about him actually last week. Yeah, great guy. Anyway, the point is we all have these shared um, uh, uh, paradigms and in, in, in that a lot of people think these expeditions, like the Amazon expedition I took and the Volga expedition and then the Northwest Passage expedition that we're preparing to take, um, that it's some kind of uh, adrenaline junkie or risky thing because it's out in the middle of nowhere and we have people shooting at us and we have, you know, whales and polar bears and yada, 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 oh my. Well, we are probably the most risk-averse people you'll ever meet on our expeditions. Uh, the reason we succeed is because we don't take unnecessary chances. We eat carefully. We, we get plenty of rest. We don't run into a situation where we'd be up all night seeing hallucinations. Right. Uh, and and, and uh, like when I was paddling the Montaro River at the headwater of the Amazon, uh, I got the top-notch uh, world-class kayakers to protect me all the way down that 500 miles because I'm not a very good whitewater kayaker. So I kayaked with those guys all around me. They led me. I listened to everything they said because... Once again, an expedition is a lot different than a race. I'll take some risks during the Texas Water Safari. I wouldn't dream of taking down the Amazon. Right. Um, because, we, you know, we have different goals, and, and safety is, is, is number one out there on the, the, the Arctic, Northwest Passage, or in Russia, or, or on the Amazon. So, whole different mindset. My uh, four-day race, safety third. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It's like, yeah. okay, speed first, uh, 
team camaraderie second. Uh, <laughs> Safety third. <laughs> Safety third, yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> so, so no hallucinations on the big ones, but these ones you do. I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I say, so no no big hallucinations on the big trips, but uh, right. this one, you, you get, your race, you get some hallucinations. You allow yourself to get you, into the situation it. because it's a yeah, safer type of race, we're, safer we're, location. We're definitely pushing the physical envelope uh, uh, quite more during the Texas Water Safari than, than other events, that's for sure. Right. Um, so the conditions that you paddle in, let's talk weather. I mean... Yeah, coming from the land of snow and ice, apparently, I looked out <laughs> at Texas, and it's all just barren heat. <laughs> so that's got to be the toughest part: the heat, the constant heat, and the potential for dehydration and the exposure. And like, I suppose it might be nice if it actually rained. Yeah, actually, and and we do get used to the heat down here. I mean, it is it is kind of strange what we consider to be normal, but we we take. You know, precautions, we know how to hydrate, we wear sunscreen, we wear long sleeve shirts and long pants and big hats, and, and I mean, that's where cowboy hats come from, is, mm-hmm. is sun off. And so, we're pretty good about that, and obviously, sunglasses, but, um, and we, we hydrate and take electrolytes. The the the, the point of rain is, you're, we, we love it. If it rains during the safari, that's great. Uh, the team captains hate it, because it makes it even more miserable on the bank. Oh, my but, it, it wakes us up. It makes us less stinky. If we get rain, thunderstorms definitely wake us up. I've had I paddled <laughs> through the night with my partner Jeff Weesty in a tandem boat where lightning was crashing all around us. Thunder was just huge. I mean, it woke us up. And then trees started crashing all around us because the wind was blowing all these trees trees down with these storms. But you know, it woke us up. So that was there's an upside to that. You know, being scared. <laughs> <of> that <thing. laughs> Yeah, you're only awake because you're waiting to get hit by lightning. <laughs> it was it was a it was a sphincter tightener, that's for sure. <laughs> was well, the downside was also we do, we do get cold anytime there's a storm, so we have to put on our rain gear just to stay warm. And our you know sometimes you have to wrap yourself up in your boat cover if you have someone that's really sick or hypothermic. Right. So we can get cold. I mean, it dips down into you know the. The 70s or 80s Fahrenheit. <laughs> I can see I wouldn't consider that cold, but that's that's kind of nifty for a canoe race. Yeah, it was 81 in my house today, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh my god, it's hot. <laughs> if it was 81 during the safari, we'd love it. That'd be it's like oh, nice and cool. Uh, well, with the rain, the current picks up and the water raises. Yeah. So that could be a, I guess, uh, a changing condition that you a changing condition you that you weren't, weren't expecting. expecting. Yeah. Right. We've had that a handful of times during the race. The water's gone up three, four, five feet, uh, which is wonderful. The downside is so does the debris. We'll get giant logs floating oh, in the river. Yeah. Uh, you know, trees are now down. It's forming new log jams. Uh, so, you know, you've got to be on the ball. Yeah. Even though you're going, going faster is great, but it can also be hazardous. Well, and when you're getting people capsizing, oh, you're yeah. in that higher, faster water. Yeah, it's doubtful they'll be hurt, but they're going to be swept down the river quite a ways. Yeah. Um, again, wildlife, you're dealing with that. Uh, now, the, the rays and the sharks are out in the bay, correct? Right, right. So at least you don't have to worry about that. Too. That's the last gauntlet. That's, that's the last thing you have to worry about. Yeah. The wind, the high, high waves, sharks, 
and and raise. That's the last gauntlet. <laughs> yeah, well, the alligators too, because the alligators hang out at, at the mouth of Guadalupe. They're pretty thick there. In fact, we were down there a few weeks ago, and there are more alligators there than I've ever seen in my whole life. The last two miles of the Guadalupe River before it spilled out into San Antonio Bay, I saw we uh, we saw at least two hundred alligator within oh. a two mile period. And they were 16-footers. I mean, they were anything from 12 to 16. They had some small 8-footers. But these things, I mean, they look like dinosaurs, especially when they're all crowded on top of each other and snarling and crap. So you really don't want to swim with them. (laughs) They they go out into the salt water a little ways as well because that's where, you know, that's where food is. The the sharks you mentioned, there are sharks out there. A lot of people are concerned about. We've never had a shark attack. Um uh, the water moccasins are definitely an issue, uh, so you got to keep your eyes out for those. But those are throughout the entire course that the water moccasins are there. The stingrays. Now, I have a personal experience with the stingray. I was in a solo boat one year, and it was very tippy, and, and uh, I got across the barge canal in the bay, and I got knocked over by a big wave, and I landed, and it was only about four or five feet of water, but I landed right on top of a stingray, and it jabbed my foot. Oh, and uh, yeah, it's kind of like a tornado. You, even though you've never been in one, as soon as you are, you know it. It's All like, right. oh, it really does sound like a freight train right on top of you. Well, the same thing with a stingray hit. As soon as I hit it, bam, oh, hell, stingray hit. And it numbed my leg, and it pain shot up my leg, and so I pulled out my flares. You have to carry flares. Uh, and if you set off a flare, you're disqualified. Right. Right away. Uh, because they're sending out a rescue team for you. So I pulled out the flare and had it in my hand, and I thought, well, if it goes up past my hip, then I'll set off the flare. If I start passing out, I'll set off a flare. So I dragged the boat in. I couldn't get back in it because of my leg. I dragged the boat in, and I walked in the last two miles pulling in my boat. And I, I still won solo class. I feel good about that. But <laughs> that that stingray hit, was uh, it stayed with me for a couple of weeks, and I had to go to the emergency room and have them dig it out. So yeah, that, those, we, uh, those, hurt, those hurt really bad. We talked about uh, the Rays, oh, about 10 episodes ago or so. Um, cause I didn't realize how, how many there were and that, that they're hanging around boat docks and stuff. So when you're putting, you got to drag your feet and yeah, all the, different oh, the level of danger, right? I hadn't really realized it. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole dragging your feet is sounds fine and in calm water. But when you got, when you're in the water in say four feet of water with two foot waves hitting you, you know, you're barely standing up. Yeah. Yeah. That's the situation I was in with that solo boat. It, the, there, there was no dragging going on. I mean, I, I just came out of the boat and bam, I landed right on the stupid thing. Wow. Uh, not something I'd want to run to. No. You know what's great about Canada? We don't have rays. <laughs> <laughs> we'll send you some. <laughs> oh, no, no. That's okay. Trust me. It's okay. We got, we got plenty down here. Yeah. The new Canadian ray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put them in like on Lake Ontario here. <laughs> An A-Ray, eh? Hey, 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 Ray, eh? Yeah, so race safety we're talking about <laughs> uh, with the checkpoints yeah. and all that. One thing, I mean, it's it's huge up here, and, and you can't go on a Facebook group up here and not... There, there's groups up here that will not let you post a picture of somebody in a boat if they're not wearing a life jacket. A life jacket. Oh yeah, yeah. But in these races, we notice that a lot of people don't have them. So oh yeah. I guess it's not That's that. Not. They they have them. They're in the boat. It's required to have them in the boat. In fact, okay. you 
you're, you're, you're docked an hour or so of time if you finish with that one. But, uh, no, we don't race. It's it's pretty rare to have any racer actually wear their PFD. Just too hot. I would to think it would be hot. It, I guess, yeah. It's very hot, and the shaping is, is horrible um, with, the, with the PFD on. Now, you are required to have it on your body properly when you enter the... The, uh, the salt water. When you when you okay. get out of Guadalupe Bay and you start crossing the open ocean, you have to be wearing it then. If you come into the finish line without a PFD on, you've got some serious problems. Right. I figure I'd be wearing like a metal suit getting through those 200 alligators. <laughs> 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 Little chain mail going yeah. on. <laughs> but the PFD thing has come up over the years. In fact, there's a uh, House Bill 394 in Texas uh, exempts racers from wearing them. Uh, and that is in accordance with the United States Coast Guard rules that exempt racing shells and rowing rigs from having to wear a PFD. In fact, do you have any uh, eight-man rowers up there that wear PFDs? No, I don't. Not in the big so. races. No, they don't wear the big races. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Why not? Well, it would be. It would hinder you in the race. Yeah. For well, mo- the point, mobility the and for overheating. If you've got Facebook posts and things that won't have a picture of a canoeist without a PFD on, why would they allow a rower on there without a PFD? True. Mm-hmm. Huh. I mean, yeah. it's, a boat, it's a boat, and it's on the water. So it's not reliant upon the conditions. So I'm not going pro or against PFDs here. I am just saying that in Texas, the laws allow racers to go without it. The insurance for the Texas Water Safari says if you are out in open ocean, you got to be wearing this PFD. Right, and as long as there's one in the boat, you're good. Well, but you can't just have it in the boat at in in the ocean. When you're in the ocean in the Texas Water Safari, you got to have it on your body. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm talking about when you're on the river. Yeah, yeah, you got to have it. You got to have it in your boat on the yeah. river. Yeah, okay, makes sense. Yeah, um, I've heard there's been some brutal years where there's only been like a very few teams finishing. The yeah, race. yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose that would be a, like a hot year, probably, or a big storm rolls in. You got to kind of everybody kind of bails. No, not so much the storms as the low water years. As you mentioned oh, earlier, it's yeah. heat. Well, sometimes we have heat with no rain. And so, like I said, the one year that, that I finished 13th place in 76 hours, I think only 25 or 30 people finished because the water was so low. That means that people that weren't ready to be out there for a long time and try to go as fast as they can, they just ran out of time. Right. Or it was just too hot, and they came out because of you know heat problems. Uh, so that was the latest year. I think that was two thousand nine that that happened. Uh, but since then, it's been pretty good. Uh, back in the early sixties, it was more rare for only two or three people to finish. But that's when you only had maybe twenty people enter. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, and, and I mean, you get more people going out. That that. Once they get out there, they figure, oh, this really wasn't what. <laughs> this isn't what yeah. I signed up for. <laughs> what I signed up for. Yeah, or I never want to see you again. I'm getting out of this boat. That's a- <laughs> I hate you. I never want to be near you ever again. I'm leaving now. My That's- wife says I have to come home. <laughs> exactly. That's pretty common. That's where the logo comes from. I don't know if you've seen the Texas Water Safari patch or logo. Yes. It's a de- devil and a dragon in a boat, and that's because... In the 19, late 1960s, these two brothers finished, and one got out, 
of the boat at the finish and walked straight to his car. His wife got in the car. They drove away. They didn't say a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they finished. <laughs> I mean, didn't change clothes or anything. And and they, they, the reporters came up to his brother and said, well, what what's going on? What happened? And he said, oh, we just fought like a devil and a dragon the whole way. <laughs> so that That's where that came from. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. It's, you got to do a lot of tongue biting out there, and hopefully it's just your own. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Um, something like that, where you're you're on the edge all the time. You, you, you're dealing with the, the 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 weather. You're dealing with the water. You're dealing with um, trying to go as fast as you can. Trying to get around obstacles. You know, everybody's fighting their own little mental battles, and then there's bound to be clashes. And there's no getting yeah. around it. Yeah, and there's some personalities that aren't just that just aren't going to work, and exactly. some people you just can't deal with. And 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 uh, hopefully, you know, that's not too bad. But yeah, that's when you, you work on the tongue bite. And if you want to snap at somebody, you thought, well, maybe I need to just let this go because I only need to be with this guy another twenty hours, and then I never have to see him again. <laughs> yeah, know? and I'm going to slash his tires on the way out the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> so at the end of it. You get a patch and bragging rights that you finished. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a participation trophy. Like a participation trophy. <laughs> That's the patch, right. You only get the hardware goes down to 15th place. So you get class hardware that's first, second, and third for whatever class you happen to be in if you happen to finish first, second, or third. Right. And then uh, regardless of you finish first, second, or third, if you finish the top 15, there's a plaque you get. Now... If you finish in the top 10, there's a bigger plaque. So there's the mythos around that. It's like, oh, man, did you finish with a big plaque? No, I was 11th place. Damn it, you missed the big <laughs> plaque. Now, I don't display my. I know some people are into trophies and plaques. I don't display mine, but I sure as hell want them. Mine are all up in the attic. But, you know, if I finish in ninth place, I want that big plaque. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I can whip it out if I need to. <laughs> Just, Look at this. <laughs> Need something to serve the turkey on this Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> this is all I had. Everybody noticed with the turkeys on. <laughs> Texas, it, they're all they're all shaped the, like Texas. Also, the shape yeah. of Texas. <laughs> That's course, awesome. Oh yeah, and then of course the first place finisher gets uh, first place team gets uh, overall gets the Argosy Cup, uh, which is a traveling trophy, and you get your name and your year and all your teammates on there and. That came from, and I'm, I'm always fascinated about this, back in the early 1960s, there was this men's magazine for the hip dudes called Argosy. And it, it was about these the adventure guys that wore bandanas and, and hunted a lot and slapped women and stuff. You know, this was the early 1960s <laughs> stuff. And so Argosy magazine, I don't know what be, I don't know, maybe it'd be like, you know, a ruder maxim or something. Okay. Anyway, they... they uh, they donated money to have this this uh, trophy made for the Texas Water Safari because they thought this was a manly man event, and you know they I guess they ignored the women back then that were doing it, and there were women that were doing it back in the sixties. But anyway, the the Argosy Cup is still around, the original one from nineteen sixty three, I guess. And and um, you know if you're you finish before anybody else, your name goes on that cup, and you get to take it home for a year. Awesome, oh, wow. nice, yeah. I drank. Cool. <laughs> I drank beer out of that cup twice. <laughs> right on. What else would you be doing? <laughs> well, I think other guys have used it as a urinal just out of spite. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I'd recommend washing it when you get it. That's yes. Right. <laughs> that beer just didn't taste like it did out of the glass. <laughs> Had a tang to it. <laughs> it now, unofficially, there's also the master. Uh, you don't have to enter the master's class. It's just any... The first team that finishes with all the team members being aged 40 or above. And those of us who are well over 50 at this point and almost 60 uh, think the master class needs to be changed because most marathon, ultra marathon canoe racers peak in their 40s. So oh. it's no big deal yeah. to win the safari in your 40s. Right. So I, I really think the master class should be moved up to 60, being 59 years old myself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I'll go with that. I'll, I'll, I'll stick with you on that one. Get off my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> you kids. Waving your fist at them. <laughs> my day. We have respect for our elders. <laughs> when we went up to school, uphill both ways. Yeah. You got it, Paco. Back when the safari was hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... If you had to give any tips to somebody trying to do this for the first time, what would you tell them besides don't? <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm never a don't guy. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm that way with expeditions. If some you know, harebrained person calls me up and says they want to do the Amazon, I'm going to do everything I can to help them. And, and there are several that have come after me that'll, that'll attest to that. And, and I'm that way with the safari. If you want to do it, okay, let's, let's get you down there. And the best piece of advice I and most other uh, old-timers give is spend time on the river, the first 90 miles. Uh, you, there's there's no training that will substitute for uh, putting your butt in that seat, getting out there and paddling. Right. That'll teach you what your boat does, how to handle it. Not only that, but it'll give you some conditioning. But the main thing is uh, learning how to handle your boat because you shouldn't have to think about driving your boat when you're trying to move. You should only be thinking about maintaining your body. The boat handling should be second nature. You should never be thinking about that. So get out on the river, start in January, go every weekend, hook up with shuttles with more experienced people. They'll be happy to guide you. Uh, it's a, Like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a very nice community. Even the most ardent uh, uh, competitors against one another will help each other out on portages and training runs, and that's the way it is with novices. You know, get on a news group on Facebook or something. If you're a novice, you want to do the race, say, hey, I want to run this section. Can somebody help me with the shuttle? You bet. There's going to be a bunch of hands come up and a bunch of uh, advice coming your way. That's cool. Yeah. And see, Derek, as avid canoe trippers, we got the paddling down flat. There we go. Right? <laughs> yeah. We're halfway there, buddy. It's the cardio. It's the cardio part. <laughs> well, and that's it. I want to plug somebody that, that really probably doesn't get as much recognition as he should. John Boogie, uh, who I've been a fierce competitor against as well as a teammate with. He's finished uh, more safaris than anybody. He's finished 40 safaris. This will oh, be his wow. 41st coming up. I know. And he's he's had knee replacements, back surgeries. He's been through several partners. He's had virulent uh, clashes with people, uh, fellow racers. Uh, at the same time, you won't find anybody. Uh, more supportive than John Boogie if anybody wants to do the Texas Water Safari. If they show up with no knowledge at all, John Boogie is, will never steer you wrong. He's helped so many novices actually win the novice class, not just do well in it. 
but uh, he he really deserves a hand for for helping out any newcomers coming to the safari, and he uh, I think he deserves more praise for that. Cool. It's always great to get uh, people like that that'll help out forty times. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That, he's addicted to it. Does his uh, wife? Does his <laughs> wife keep sending him out year after year, thinking this will be the year I get my insurance money? Well, <laughs> that's the thing about it. There, there's been a there, there's a pretty good line of ex wives there. Oh. So <laughs> <laughs> there, there. They've been very supportive of it while they've been around, though. <laughs> yeah, forty years though, man. That's incredible. That's, that's something. Yeah. Right. Right, and his his uh, his family races. His his uh, daughter is an amazing racer, uh, and and uh, so he's he's leaving a very good legacy. Cool, that's awesome. Um, you know what? It sounds like it's it's a really awesome thing to do, and that goes this weekend the Texas Water Safari, and you're running it for your twenty fifth twenty fifth time. Yeah, this will be yeah. my twenty fifth time to enter, and it'll be my twenty first time to finish. That'll be awesome. That's yeah, great. Way to I go. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, we'll be uh, looking forward, forward to seeing how well you do. Hoisting yeah. oh, big trophies oh, and plaques and, <laughs> and patches. And... Yeah, looking forward to a patch. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, 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 we're not going to win. I mean, we're in a three-man boat, and that means we're racing against six-man boats. We, the, the safari is very slow to change its categories. So even though in your solo boat you don't have to race against tandems, if you're in a three-man, you still have to race against six-man boats. So oh, yeah. the yeah. logic isn't exactly linear, and hopefully someday they'll catch up to that. But as a, as a three-person boat, we're racing against four or five and six-person boats, and so it's going to be pretty tough to get ahead of any of those people. Well, here's something Derek was pondering earlier. You know how in NASCAR they draft behind each other? Oh, yeah. Does drafting work? In canoes? Yeah, like it that? works great, yeah. Yeah, it works really well. In fact, uh, when I've been in Tana boats, I've drafted six-person, and which is great because uh, Tana can out steer a six-person. So it's like a sports car with a Greyhound bus, <laughs> and so they can't they can't get rid of you. And and so you can draft a good wave off a of six for a while. When I was in solo boats, I would ride the draft of big boats, and if not for the wave, uh, which is helpful, uh, but the company. Is also good if you can hang on to a, another boat that gives you someone else to talk to and to jack with, and just uh, someone that may be a little bit faster than you that you can hang with is is good for you mentally. So you just pick out the boat that you think is going to win, <laughs> draft them, all draft way them in. all the way. You come in second. There you go. See, yeah. it's all about I the wish, positivity. Wish I'd have thought of that. That's, like... <laughs> That's why I'm here. Follow me for more tips. All right, now we have a plan. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you, uh, Wes, for coming on here tonight and, and talking to us about uh, the uh, Texas Water Safari. You bet. If people want to find out more about you, because I'm hoping you'll come back and talk about your other trips as well. There's a few future oh, I, trips I want to hear about. You can look at my uh, website at westhansen.com. That's W-E-S-T-H-A-N-S-E-N.com. Uh, we are preparing for the uh, Northwest Passage expedition where we want to be the first to kayak the Northwest Passage from uh, either Baffin Bay, uh, Pond Inlet up there and none of it, down to Tuktoyaktuk in the Northwest Territories or from Tuktoyaktuk up to uh, Pond Inlet uh, near Baffin Bay. Uh, 1,900 miles, 
through the Canadian Arctic Archipelago, and no one's ever successfully made the entire trip. Uh, they've there have been several kayak trips that have gone across the Northwest Passage, but they'll take an overland portage for a while, or they'll take several years and so forth. But we want to do it all in one season. So if Canada opens up this year, we are prepared to go. Otherwise, we hope to see you all up there next year. And what's your drop-dead date for leaving? Drop-dead date, we have to be on the water uh, August 1st, because August and September are the warmest months, and we'll probably take 60 to 70 days. And that would put us right at the beginning of October when things get kind of kind of nippy up there mm-hmm. so we're not on the water uh you know for instance in pond inlet uh on october 1st then we're gonna have to pull pull it for next year right well hopefully it uh it all pans out yeah um yeah. you're on facebook as well west hansen expeditions and I'm you're on-, on instagram at west hansen expeditions as well yep uh i would definitely tell people to go to westhansen.com and Check out the uh, stories and pictures, galleries, blogs, and all that about your your expeditions. Uh, pretty cool things you did. But, yeah, definitely would love to get you on here again at a later date and talk about those. Thanks. And also from my website, you can uh, order uh, a signed copy of my book, uh, The Amazon from Source to Sea. Right. And uh, otherwise you can get it on Amazon.com. But if you want me to sign a copy, just go to my website. To my bestest buddy ever. <laughs> Hope I see you on the Texas water safari. We'll have, have no alligators that year. <laughs> Come on down, Sean and Sean and Derek. We have a boat waiting for you. Beauty, I'm in. That, yeah. <laughs> Once ever, oh, darn, the borders are closed. <laughs> oh, man. Gosh darn it. Hang on. Let, let me call Justin Trudeau, see if he'll open them for the weekend. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. Uh, Maybe uh, next year. Maybe next. But you know what? It'd be even awesome just to come down there and witness it. <laughs> to witness it, yeah. Just you to know? see it happening. Oh, but then you'll have a taste of it. You'll, uh, and you'll yeah. come so back. Had and... Or two people think, oh, dang it. I should have, I should have entered. I could be doing this right now. Yeah. So that's a, that's a foot in the door, man. That's what they do, man. They just lure you in. Little <laughs> that's nibble. It. That's it. <laughs> Hook, line, and sinker, baby. <laughs> Y'all are always welcome. Awesome. Appreciate it. Well, again, thank you, Wes, for uh, joining us. Um, and I'm definitely looking forward to hearing how well you do this weekend. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate it, Derek. And uh, you can follow us uh, on the spot. We all have spot trackers, so you can watch all the racers live uh, uh, on the Internet from the TexasWaterSafari.org website. Perfect. I think we'll uh, see if we can put a little link to that on our uh, yeah. social media. Follow along. Great. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at PaddlingAdventuresRadio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes from iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Player FM, iHeartRadio, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. You go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and you can listen to all our episodes there. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with friends, family, and fellow paddlers. Again, big thank you to West Hansen for joining us this evening. Uh, thank you, everybody, for, for listening. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Spesh. We'll see you next time. <laughs>